This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Get started. Father, we thank you. Lord, that we can gather together like this in freedom, Father, to worship you, to encourage one another, to hear your word, Father. Thank you for the privilege Lord, of community. Lord, and we just worship you this morning. We say that all the glory belongs to you. Father, everything that we do is to glorify your name and to see your kingdom come. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Um, so this morning, so there, follow me, I will make you. Uh, and just chat a bit about discipleship. And uh, as you can see, I also have my green shirt on. I had to consult my wife this morning because I'm red and green colorblind. So it would, would be terrible if I would stand here with a red shirt today. Um, but my wife helped me this morning, so I have the right color shirt on. But with the box playing today, I realized something. All of us are really good at discipleship. Really good at it. Because from the moment you're born, especially as a man, specifically as a boy, you, a rugby ball is put into your hand. And you have your little springbok toy and you have your little springbok rugby jersey and you watch rugby with your dad and you watch rugby with the family. And we pass this tradition of watching rugby and supporting the springboks or the stormers or the blue bulls or whoever it is, we pass on without even blinking an eye. That's discipleship. We do that with the gospel as well, with your children, with the people around you. It's easier than what you think. The call is great, but the job, it's, it's easy to do it. We do it so naturally. So that's what we're going to jump into today. And I want to ask you a question, just to turn to your neighbor. And uh, this question, if you can, no, not that, okay. Define what it means to be a Christian in three words. Quickly, you have 20 seconds. Turn to someone next to you. And use three words to define what it means to be a Christian. All right, I'm going to ask us another question. Turn to the person next to you and define what it means to be a disciple in three words. Now, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a trick question, and I think some people would have said maybe the same thing, that a Christian, the definition of a Christian and a disciple is the same thing. Maybe you said some different things. I'm not saying that you're right or wrong, but what I've realized is that we tend to make a separation. We tend to make these grades of if someone just gets saved, they're a convert. And if they, if they, you know, they go to the next level, then they're a disciple. And if they really go, <laughs> that's, that's waiting for me. Um, <laughs> um if we go to the next level, then we're a disciple. And if we really like level up, then we're a disciple maker. But the truth is that all of these, whether you're a convert, a disciple, or a disciple maker, is all discipleship. It's all disciples of Jesus Christ. Because discipleship, the definition thereof is the state of becoming a disciple. The state of becoming a follower of Jesus. The state of becoming like Jesus. That's what discipleship is. So my dad 
when I was a, when I was young, he pulled me in and see us in the evening services really challenges this Liverpool, you'll never walk alone soccer spirit, but I'm a diehard Liverpool fan. And my dad pulled me in and he said, this is the team that you will support. Look at the way that they play soccer. Look at their manager. Look at the ethos of the club. And he discipled me. And he, made, and he took me on this process of becoming a Liverpool supporter. It's the same. When we follow, when we commit to Christ, we embark on this journey, all of us, to become like Jesus Christ. I'm going to jump into a bit of... Oh, let me first tell you a story. Um, it's a very funny story for me. I, um, I read this week that in Norway, there was this lady who lived, I think she lived on the third floor of a flat block. And she had this routine, very simple routine. Every night when she would come home, she would put on the kettle, she would put on the shower, she would shower, drink a cup of tea, get into bed and read her book. And then the terrible news came that they were going to open a bar at the bottom floor, on the ground floor of this flat block. And this was terrible news for her because her routine would be disrupted. Obviously with the late nights and the loud crowds and so on. So they're building and she's dealing with it. The building is fine, the noise and stuff. She's coping with it. But now it's the night that the bar needs to open. And she comes home and she decides, you know what, I'm not going to do anything different. Let's see how this goes. I'm going to come home. She puts on the kettle and she turns on the shower without looking. She goes and she comes back to the shower and she sees that the water is really greenish and foamy. And she doesn't understand. And at the bottom at the bar, the bartenders want to test if the beer is coming out right out of the taps and all they see is water coming out. And they realize that, Hona, the plumber mixed up the pipes. That the beer is now going up to a shower and the water is now going down to the beer taps. And it's a really random story, but I think this is oftentimes what we do with discipleship. Is that we think that there's these levels. We think that it's something next level to be a disciple. I'm just a Christian. But we need to... You know, and, and they called the plumber in to come and fix it. And the guy says, yeah, the pipes are next to each other, but it takes some real creativity to mix them up and let them go the wrong way. And I think it's the same. There's, we really have to be creative to say that I'm a Christian, but I'm not a disciple. When I follow Jesus, I am a disciple. So all of us are disciples. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And the first thing that I want us to see is this great cloud of witnesses. I had this revelation this week that, and it's going to maybe sound stupid, but I'm going um, to explain what I mean, is that I realize that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of Paul and of Peter. I'm a disciple of the early church fathers. 
Because just like my grandfather supported Liverpool and taught my dad to support Liverpool and the Springboks and he taught me, so Jesus Christ came to earth and he brought a message and he changed people's lives around him and he imparted something to the disciples and they imparted something to a next generation and to a next generation and we are here because Jesus imparted something into the disciples. We are physical disciples of Jesus 2,000 years later. How amazing is that? This great cloud of witnesses that the writer of Hebrews is talking about are these great men of faith that have run the race with endurance to the end. They have seen and received the upward call of Jesus Christ into heaven. And this cloud of witnesses is around us. And because this cloud of witnesses around us or, or, is around us, we can lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us and run this race because there is hope, because there is a future. But we need to acknowledge, as Sia said this morning, that we have weights and we have sins that ensnare us and that we need to lay them aside. But we need to put these weights and these sins in their correct place because we need to lay them off and look unto Jesus who endured the cross and despised the shame, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And that the faith that we have needs to produce action. Because if Jesus imparted something to the disciples and they just had faith but no action, then we would not be sitting here. We would not receive the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what discipleship is about, is imparting the message of Jesus Christ to the next generation, to the people around me. So faith that does not result in action is not faith. It's something less. And this is what I want, to, I want us to look at this. How did Jesus call and equip and, and, and what did he do with his disciples? So if we can go to that next scripture, uh, Matthew 4, verse 18 to 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. What a crazy story. Imagine. I, I've pictured this in my head a million times. Jesus walking on the beach and he's like, hey, follow me. I'm going to make you fishes of men. And he just walks on and they follow him. It's crazy. Who does that? Who just follows a random guy who says, come, I'm going to make you fishes of men. And this is the idea that I had in my head. But this is not the reality because I did some research of looking at, at the historical um, scenario that we find ourselves in in this passage. So Jesus is preaching and he's teaching powerfully with authority. He's doing miracles and he's performing signs and wonders. And he's living in the area that these four guys, um, Simon, Andrew, uh, John, and James, are living in. So they know about him. They know that Jesus is a teacher, and 
that he's performing these signs and wonders, these miracles. And they've probably even listened to him uh, teach. They've probably witnessed him performing some other miracle or some other um, you know, mighty work. But what makes this story so amazing is when we grasp the heart of God behind it. And to understand it, we need to understand the rabbinical system. So a rabbi is a teacher and they had a system of how this worked. So these guys, uh, these four guys that are called to be fishers of men, they would have grown up in a Jewish society and God is the center of their society. For the Jewish people, God is the center. So everything that I do needs to bring me closer to God. Um, it's, the way that they, it's the way that they did things. So when a child was born, he would go to shul, which is like a Sunday school for, for the Jewish kids. They would be taught in uh, the scriptures, the, the Torah and the prophets. They would be taught and they would be even trained in business and things like this. And when they get to the age of 13, they would apply to a school which would be of a specific rabbi, so a specific teacher. They would look at this teacher and they would think, okay, this guy's life and the way that he teaches, I I admire and I want to be like that. So I'm going to apply to enter his school so that I can be discipled by him personally. But the trick is, is that the rabbi would decide that this child needs to either have or not either, but have a certain social status in the society and a certain level of biblical knowledge, so scriptural knowledge. And if you didn't meet that standard, then you wouldn't be accepted into the school. It didn't mean that you couldn't believe in God. It didn't mean that you couldn't practice as a Jewish person. It just mean you couldn't go on to be a teacher of the law, which would be one of the most Uh, prestigious positions in that society. So these guys didn't make it. They didn't have the right social status and they didn't have enough biblical knowledge or scriptural knowledge. So they didn't make it. So they had to go and become laborers, fishermen, carpenters, um, tent makers, things like that. So they were almost, in a sense, rejected, said, you know what, you don't, you don't make it. And, and if, you, if you succeeded, if you were accepted into the school, the, what, would, what would be taught to you is, okay, so you decide that you want to follow this teacher, you're accepted now. What you would have to do is you would have to memorize the teacher's words. Everything that he said, you would memorize them. You would learn the way of the teacher's ministry. So how does this teacher do ministry? you would start imitating the life and the character of this teacher. And then at a certain stage, you would start having to raise up your own disciples, having reached maturity. So these four guys, and I can just imagine them on their boats, like just in general life, maybe at home, they they see Jesus preaching and and they think, wow, man, if if I could only have been taught by him, if I could only sit under his teaching that he would disciple me, but I can't because I haven't made it. I haven't been accepted. I don't reach the minimum requirement to be taught. And Jesus comes along 
And he says, hey, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. With this, I understand completely why they dropped their nets, why they left their father and they followed him. Because they had an opportunity to embark on this journey that they desired to embark on their whole life. And it was Jesus, this teacher, who was seemed to be standing head and shoulders above the other teachers because of the authority that he was preaching with. And he calls them into a road of discipleship. How does this apply to us? That because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we are separated from God. We need to be reconciled unto the Father. And there's no way that we can do it except if Jesus Christ comes along and he calls us. And that's what he's done to us on the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. He says, come, follow me. I will make you fishes of men. He says, I will give you identity. I will give you purpose. I will give you a vision for your life. There's a calling. There's a, and, and this is something that we need to realize that is primary to the discipleship process is that Jesus calls you. Jesus calls me to a life where he gives us identity, purpose, and vision. And, and, and to note that these guys were devout men. They were still Jewish people. They still went to the synagogue. They still prayed. They obeyed the Sabbath. They did all the right things. But Jesus goes even further in Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, Matthew was a Jewish man who betrayed the Jewish nation. And basically, in the Jewish nations, I betrayed God. Because he was helping the Romans extort tax from the Jewish people. So this guy was almost an enemy of the Jewish people. And Jesus comes to this guy and he says, hey, you, follow me. So even those of us who have turned, like I did, who turned my back on God and said, God, I want nothing to do with you. There was a point in my life where I said, God, you definitely don't have the best plans for me. I don't want anything to do with you. In fact, I hate you. God still called me. God still calls me and gives me identity and vision and purpose in this life. So from, the, from, the, from this place, he calls these disciples and he walks and he, and he does a few things, calls a few disciples. And then he, in Matthew 5, um, we find... Jesus on, this, on the Sermon on, on the Mount. And this is probably my favorite piece of scripture, Matthew 5 to 7. I'll always bring, mention it in the sermon um, because it directs our way for life. But Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, giving this revolutionary teaching. And um, in Matthew 7, verse 7 to, to 9, he, so, so he calls them and he says, uh, now he's preaching from verse 7, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who, receive, who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So he says, come on this journey with me. I will make you fishers of men. And in the sermon he tells, there's a massive crowd in front of them. He says, don't be shy. I want you to, Come and ask, because I know. I want you to come and seek, 
because you will find me. I want you to knock and I will open the door for you. And then later on in, in Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, I think this is a scripture that most people dread if you know the scripture. But I think we can so easily miss the heart of God behind the scripture. I'm going to read it to us and then I'm going to break it up. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Love what Tanisha said, says, amen or ouch. He says, those who will enter the kingdom of heaven are those that do the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of our Father in heaven? Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with everything that you have, and love your neighbors yourself. And then in John it goes further to love them as I have loved you. Love everyone. Love your neighbor as I have loved you. That is the will of God. And he says to them, he's not addressing the things that they did do, but he's addressing the things that they didn't do. You see, if we go back to Matthew 7, verse 7, he says, Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus is inviting everybody into a place of intimacy with him. Jesus' heart is not to push people away because they're workers of lawlessness. His heart is to bring people into his life intimately. Because you can see that his focus is, he says that I never knew you. It's not because you did all this stuff that I'm saying depart from me. It's because I never knew you that I'm saying depart from me. Jesus wants to know us intimately. He wants to invite us into intimacy. And he's saying that intimacy is a key to the kingdom. A key to the kingdom life that we need to live. So he calls them, and then what he's teaching them is he says, I want you to see what I'm doing. I want you to be close to me. I want to be intimate with you. James 1 verse 5 to 6 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I've read this scripture many times, but in this week as I was meditating on it again, I realized that yes, God wants to give us wisdom. That's why he says, if you lack wisdom, come and ask. And if you ask, I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to disapprove of your coming to me and asking of me. I'm actually going to give to you generously. But I want you to come and ask in faith. And what does that mean? It means that God wants us to come and ask because we trust Him. 
because we believe that he is who he says that he is. The picture that I, that I have of this is um, of a father and a son for, for me and my father. That my dad is, well, my dad's 60 and I'm 26, so he's done a lot more life than what I have, so he knows a lot more than what I do. Um, so praise the Lord for fathers. Praise the Lord for older people in our lives. Um, but when I come to him and I ask him for wisdom, and I experienced it now, I think it was three weeks ago. So Noreen and I are having our first baby next year. <laughs> praise the Lord. Um, and it's now, what's it, 19 weeks pregnant. She is 19 weeks pregnant, not we. Um, and I, we started looking at our finances and we were like, how are we going to make this work? I have no idea. And immediately I thought, okay, I'm going to phone my dad because my dad is good with this stuff. So I phone him and I explained to him the situation and how does this work? How does that work? How do I think about it? How do I budget? How do I, you know, what should I put away? What should I spend on? Should I be buying nappies now already? Um, you know, how do I think about this stuff? And it was so beautiful that my dad's response wasn't, yeah, do this, 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 this. He's like, when can we meet up? When can, when can I see you so that we can talk about this? Because I went to him and what it, what it showed is that I trust him. That I have faith in the wisdom that he has. And he says, wow, what an opportunity for intimacy. Let us draw near. Yeah, he wants me to figure out my budget. Yeah, he wants me to succeed and to not... Um, miss buying nappies but it was more important for him that i actually came to him and said i need you i need your help it's the same with god god wants us to come to him because he has the answers to life he has the words to life so he wants us to come to him in prayer he wants to wants us to come to him in community he wants to come wants us to come to him in worship Because he has the answers to life. Luke 24, verse 46 to 49. So Jesus calls his disciples. He says, hey, I want to be intimate with you. I want you to see who I am. I want to see who you are. I I want to be with you. And if we pick up here from verse 46... And he said to him, thus it is written that the Christ should should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So this is the same passage as the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey 
everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you till the end of the age. I chose this portion in Luke specifically because of that last sentence that says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That Jesus still sends them to go and be witnesses of what they have seen, what they have experienced. But he says, you cannot do this alone. You cannot do this by yourself. You need to be clothed with power from on high. And this is something that I wrestled through. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus almost gives these amazing, these revolutionary moral teachings on how to live life. Love your enemy. Don't judge others. Take the speck out of your own eye. Don't commit adultery, not even in your heart. Not only physically, but not even in your heart. These, these things that we can, that we can do. And, I, and I, for a long time I thought, wow, if I just do these things, then I'll be fine. But it, it occurred to me that the disciples who walked with Jesus in, intimately and intensely for three years got it horribly wrong. Like, yeah, they, they got it right and they followed him and there's this revelation that Peter has that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. And Jesus says that on this revelation I will build my church. But if you look at it, there's, I mean, two of the disciples that come to Jesus and say, there's sin in this town. Should we call down fire on this town? Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down. Pull the reins back. This is not what we've come to do. At the most crucial point, Jesus says that I am going to suffer. I'm going to die and I'm going to stand up again. He says it to them. They don't want to believe him. And on the crucial moment, the crucial time just before the crucifixion, obviously, We know because we're on this side of the story. So we know the full story. But the disciples didn't. But he says, he he takes them to to the garden and, and he says, you guys stay here and pray so that you will not go into temptation. I'm going to go pray over there. And he leaves them and he goes and prays and he comes back and there they're sleeping. At the climax of Jesus' ministry, there they're sleeping. And he says, guys, come on. Guys, wake up, pray. I'm going to pray over there, pray. You guys pray here, I pray there. And he comes back and they're sleeping again. Next moment people come to arrest Jesus and one guy takes out a sword and cuts off the other one's ear and Jesus says, whoa, did you not hear what I taught? Violence is not the way. Chill. I know what's what's going to happen here. This This should be happening. And they take him and Peter denies him. Even knowing Jesus, the disciples scatter everywhere. Does that sound like success? No. It sounds like the disciples failed miserably. But Jesus dies on the cross. He's buried. And on the third day, he's risen. He rises. And he appears to the disciples. And for the first time, it clicks for them. That this guy is really who he said that he is. Jesus really is the Messiah. He really is the Christ of God. And they're like, wow, okay, we might have missed it, but we're here now. And he gives, and he teaches them for a bit, and he gives them this commission, this sending. 
And he says, wait in the city until power comes from on high. And the next moment, the Holy Spirit comes while they're waiting and praying. And they're empowered to live a life that looks completely different to what we just spoke about. Where they run away and they do the wrong things. Immediately they go out, they preach the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved. Have you seen the risen Christ? Have you had the revelation that Jesus is risen, that he is alive? I also chose this piece in Luke because Luke writes the gospel of Luke, and then he writes uh, the book of Acts. And it's Jesus' ministry until his ascension in Luke. And then from Acts it goes on to talk about the life after the Holy Spirit comes. And the ministry and how to make disciples. Ultimately, as we said earlier, we need to love God and love our neighbor. But I and we cannot love God and love our neighbor as we should without the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbors in the same way. And I want to pose to us a question. And I think the question that is most often asked is, who is my neighbor? And we look to the people next to us and we think, wow, okay, we're in our homes and we have neighbors across from us and next to us. And we think, wow, these are my neighbors. Or we have people that are sitting at work next to us and these are our neighbors yes they are our neighbors but i want to challenge us with the question is who can i be a neighbor to because that is the gospel message that is the story of the good samaritan who can i be a neighbor to because jesus was ultimately our good samaritan everywhere he went he looked who can i be a neighbor to who can i love who can i impart wisdom who can i forgive the disciples lived in that same way. I want to take us back to Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think so often we focus on casting off these weights and these sins which we should do laying them aside we should focus on it. but so often we're so focused on laying these things off that life almost gets hard because i'm so aware of the tough things that i'm going through that we so forget to look to jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who was tempted in every way as we are yet he endured he despised the shame he died on the cross he rose again and he's seated at the right hand of god making intercession for you and for me there's this great cloud of witnesses that endured, that ran this race with endurance through tough times, through persecution, through martyrdom. But they made it looking unto Jesus because there was a hope, because there was a future.
And as we start to close off, I just want to give us three keys. I don't think I put it on those slides, but I'll repeat them if you want to write them down. Three keys to a holistic life of discipleship, because this is a journey that I've been on, that I can't make discipleship a little part of my life. If discipleship is becoming like Jesus, the state of becoming like Jesus, I can't just make it an hour or two of my day. But I need to embrace it in every part of my life. So this is why I say three keys to a holistic life of discipleship. Firstly, to know that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember Matthew, who turned his back on the Jewish people and basically God. Jesus came to redeem him. That no matter where you are sitting today in terms of your relationship with God, God wants to come and redeem you. You are redeemed and you are called by Jesus. His words stay the same today. Come and follow me. I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. I will give you identity and vision and purpose. Second key is that Jesus wants intimacy with you and wants to know you. He wants you to come to him, asking him the difficult questions. He wants you to embrace the community of faith because in the community of faith, we experience intimacy with Jesus. In prayer, in worship, in reading of the word, in small group, in outreach, we experience intimacy with Jesus. Jesus wants intimacy with you and wants to know you. And thirdly, you have been commissioned And you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to keep this way of living going. This this life-changing experience, the salvation that you have received, the joy that you have received, the forgiveness that you have received, this, this way of living that Jesus prescribes. Jesus commissions you and says, Go and reproduce this in everyday life around you. You are commissioned and empowered by the Holy Spirit to keep on making disciples. If it is so easy for us to disciple our children into what rugby club, or how to watch rugby, how to play rugby, how to play soccer, how to do finances, if it is so easy for us to do it there, why is it so difficult when it comes to the things of God? It's not a program, people. Discipleship is not a program. It's a life devoted unto Jesus and saying to people alongside of you, come along with me. I will show you how to follow Jesus. If you can read your Bible, you can teach someone how to read your Bible. If you can pray, you can teach someone how to pray. If you can come to church, you can show someone how to come to church. You use these legs. Discipleship is not a program, but a way of life devoted to Jesus. Showing others how to follow him. The last scripture that I want to read to us is from Revelation 21. And this is, this is our hope. This is what we hold on to. This is the future that we have. Listen to the words carefully. And let them not only come into your ears and in your mind, but let them sink into your heart. Then I saw a, a new heaven. And a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega from the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That is the day that we look forward to when Jesus comes to make all things new. We need eternal perspective. This is why we're living. The great men of faith, the the people that helped us get here and sit here, this is the reason why we're doing this. Because one day Jesus is going to come again And make all things new when there's no more pain, there's no more crying, there's no more agony. The things of this world will pass away and we'll be in perfect unity with God again. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.